Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have faith in time, and time will justify your faith. Mr. President, starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold and written by Gene Holloway. Mr. President at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. In just a moment, Edward Arnold as Mr. President. Rarely before in the history of our country has the office of the presidency been of such vital importance as it is today. As you know, the Constitution is very specific about the powers and duties of the president, making him somewhat subject to the will of Congress in domestic matters, but almost entirely on his own in our dealings with other nations. Our foreign relations are vital to every one of us. And the president is our personal representative in such matters. Into this important picture enter the Mr. President stories, telling in warm human terms of the adventures, the troubles, and the joys of the men who have held the nation's highest office. You, our listeners, have the added thrill of testing your historical knowledge when you try to identify the president of each story. Now see if you can name the president upon whom this episode is based. Here's a story that happened in Washington a few years ago. Listen closely and see if you can tell who the president was. It was March 4th, Inauguration Day, and the small, quiet man who was about to become the number one citizen of the country stared out the window at a driving rain. Storm's getting worse, not better. There's no chance of it clearing up. I'm quite sure you're right about that, my dear. One of the ladies just told me that she tried everywhere to get an umbrella, and someone told her that every umbrella in Washington had been sold. Really? Do you think they'll hold the ceremony outdoors just the same? I'm sure they will. Well, not made of sugar or salt, you know. No, but I don't like to think of you starting your term in office with a cold in your nose. You know, my dear, you're making more of a fuss about this rain than you did when I left for the battlefield. <laughs> it wasn't raining then. Oh, I see. <laughs> come in, come in. <laughs> Good morning, sir. Good morning, Robert. Good morning. It's a pretty gloomy day for our inauguration, isn't it? You know, I've been so busy, I've hardly noticed the weather. 
If there's anyone busier than the president-elect at a time like this, it's the president-elect's personal secretary. Well, I'm not busy at the moment. I've just been waiting for time to go. I'm going over to the White House and see what has to be done in the way of organizing our working schedule. You'd better sit down, sir, and rest as much as you can until time to go. You're right, Robert. He was up half the night working on his speech. My dear, you don't think you'll still ride in that open carriage to the Capitol, do you? But it's been planned that way, my dear. Well, it wasn't raining when it was planned. <laughs> you and the president will both catch your deaths if you try to ride in an open carriage on a day like this. Well, I'll see what the president has to say about it. you better see what the president's wife has to say about that. She'll never let him ride in an open carriage in this rain, and I'm not going to let you. <laughs> well, we'll see, my dear, we'll see. <laughs> Good morning, Mr. President. Good morning to you, Mr. President. I'm sorry that the weather is so bad on your inauguration day. Well, I hope it isn't a bad omen. <laughs> I'm sure it isn't. But I haven't said so before. I wish you a most successful and happy term in office. Thank you, sir. That's very gracious of you. It's time we were starting with the ceremony. Um, how do you feel about the ride in the open carriage? <laughs> what does your wife say about it? <laughs> Probably the same as yours. She says, I'm not to think of riding in an open carriage in this kind of weather for one minute. The very idea, she says. My wife said exactly the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, open carriage has arrived. What do you think? Let's hurry and get in the carriage before our wives catch us. Huh? That's just what I hoped you'd say. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> If all those people can come down and stand in the rain to see us, we can certainly ride in the rain. It always puts a lump in my throat to see the expression on their faces. Yeah. We're going to be late. It's past 12 already. I'm afraid there's no help for it in this storm. No, there isn't. That's a fine regiment escorting us. I don't wonder that you're proud of them. I'm very proud of them. You know, I recruited and commanded the 70th Indiana Regiment during the war... They're fine men. I'm honored to have them as an escort today. Well, there's the capital. Your term in office has almost begun. Right through this door, sir. Thank you. Look at all those people standing out there. It looks like a sea of black umbrellas, doesn't it? Yes. Tell me, what is that man doing to that clock? <laughs> That's Captain Bassett. He's turning back the clock. What time do you have? Well, my watch says almost 20 after 12. Well, Captain Bassett has pushed back the hands of the clock to two minutes of 12. Oh. The inauguration was scheduled for noon, and evidently it's going to be at noon as far as he's concerned. There's something for you to remember about your inauguration. Rather than let it appear that you were late... They turned back the hands of the Capitol clock. I certainly will remember it. <laughs> I think they won us right straight ahead, sir. I see Chief Justice Fuller beckoning to us. Oh, yes, very well, very well. Chief Justice Fuller will administer the oath to you, and thereby end my term in office and begin yours. 
I do solemnly swear. I do solemnly swear. To the best of my ability. To the best of my ability. To preserve, protect, and defend. To preserve, protect, and defend. The Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. And to faithfully perform. And to faithfully perform. And execute. And execute. The duties of President of the United States. The duties of President of the United States. So help me God. So help me God. Mrs. President, it's time to leave for the inaugural ball. I'm ready. Well, well, what elegance. Turn (laughs) around and let me see that train in action. Oh, my, that is really gorgeous. What do you call the trimming on that gown? That's pearl brocade with gold embroidery. Uh-huh. And you'll notice, contrary to the style of the moment, I'm wearing a dress with a high neck and elbow-length sleeves. And what is the style of the moment? Well, your arms are supposed to be bare and your neckline's supposed to be cut down to there. <clears throat> but I could never wear it. It makes me too nervous. <laughs> well, you couldn't possibly look more beautiful. <laughs> Oh, dear, there's something I'd like to say to you. Don't scold me for riding in the rain. The people expected it. Oh, heavens, I'd forgotten all about that. No, what I want to say is of much more importance. It, um, it seems to me that ever since it became known that you'd won the election, our life's become almost a circus. In what way? Everyone's come to see us. Everyone in the whole wide country, I think. And I'm sure those that haven't come plan to come. Well, that seems to go with the office. Well... I feel that the president and his family are entitled to a certain amount of privacy. Not much, I grant you, but some. And if there is any privacy to be found at the White House, I propose to find it and preserve it. We must find time when we can to be alone. You're the president, but you're also my husband. And a father and a grandfather. I intend to do my best to be a success in all of those capacities, my dear. Oh, I know you will. And I'm more proud of you than I'll ever be able to tell you. The fact that you are beside me is one of the things that gives me hope. That I can fill this mighty office. I need your faith and your help. You'll have them. As long as I'm here to give them to you. Bless you, my dear. Bless you. Well, let me have your arm. Let's go. Tonight to our inaugural ball... Tomorrow, to the White House. Now, Mr. President, there are one or two things I'd like to go over with you while we have a moment. First of all, sir, we're receiving over a thousand pieces of mail a day, and it's going to be almost impossible to answer it all in longhand. A thousand pieces? Yes, I can certainly see that it would be impossible. Now, there's a new invention known as the typewriter. The what? The typewriter. It's a kind of printing machine on which we can typewrite your answers much quicker than writing them by hand, and then all you'd have to do is sign the letters. I'd like very much to see this machine. I have one in the next office if you'd care to see it now. I would indeed. Oh, I believe in progress and modern methods. If this machine will save time and make your work easier, Robert, by all means, let's have it. Here it is, sir. 
Is it difficult to operate? I'll show you. <laughs> That's amazing. That's really quite amazing. <laughs> you can operate it yourself, sir, if you'd care to. <laughs> I want more typewriters brought into the White House immediately. I suppose I'll be criticized for not insisting that everything be written by hand. But I can stand criticism if progress is served thereby. It's a miraculous age we're living in, Robert. Think of it. A typewriter. Well, what kind of an infernal contrivance is that? Oh, hello, Senator. It's the new typewriter, Senator. I'm having several of them installed in the White House. I don't like them. Jim cracks, that's what they are. Jim cracks. They won't last. Oh, I think they will. The whole country will be laughing at you for putting them in the White House. Well, I don't object to giving the country a good laugh. They can always stand one. Come in my office, Senator. It's, it's good to see you again. Yes, and it's good to see you here in the White House, Mr. President. Thank you. You know, I still can't believe we're here... Well, Mr. President, I know you're very busy, and even though I'm sure you'll always have a moment for good party members like myself, I'll uh, only take a few minutes of your time. I have here a list of names of gentlemen from Pennsylvania to whom I have promised appointments. You have promised appointments, Senator? They are all good party members who worked long and faithfully for your election... Well, I would like to have some specific information about these men, Senator. Oh, that won't be necessary. I stand behind the ball, Mr. President. Well, now, Senator, I appreciate that. But on the other hand, since these appointments are to be mine, I will have to know something myself about the man. I know the Senate will confirm these appointments, Mr. President. I will see to that myself. Before any names are submitted to the Senate, I insist on knowing about the candidates for the offices. I have a responsibility to the people. And I don't intend to forget it. You have a responsibility to the people who put you in office. My responsibility extends to all the people, whether they help put me in office or not. If a man should prove to be incapable of performing his job, I'm the one to whom the people will look for an explanation, not to the Senate. And not to you, Mr. Senator. You're not going to be very popular in the party with an attitude like that, Mr. President. Mr. Senator... Let me make something very clear right now at the outset. I take this office very seriously. I take my responsibility to the office very seriously. I intend to live up to my oath to protect and defend this office to the best of my ability. I intend to do that in every way I know how. And if I lose the support of my party, if I lose my friends, even if I lose my life, that is still the course I have chosen and that I intend to adhere to. It doesn't matter whether I'm a popular president, Senator, but it does matter whether I'm a good president. Very well, Mr. President. I will prepare you a report on each of these men. Thank you, Senator. I will appreciate that very much. Good day. Good day. Good morning, Senator. Good morning. Well, what's the matter with him? Can't you guess? Well, he had a paper in his hand. That wouldn't have been a list of appointments, would it? Yes, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> Maybe eventually they'll get the idea that you intend to be the President of the United States. <laughs> One of the senators from Illinois was in here a while ago, and what do you think he had figured out? I can't imagine. He wanted to take the total of offices to be filled and divide them equally between the states and the congressional districts and let the Republican senators and representatives fill them. And the... Well, it's no use going into it. It's a fantastic idea. 
I certainly never realized how many problems the opening days of a president oh, no. What's the matter? What oh. is it, Caroline? Oh, that bowl of fruit on your desk. What's the matter with it? Well, look, Mr. President, a rat. A rat? Well, I'll be a rat sitting on my desk eating my fruit. <laughs> oh, well, get rid of him, do You're something. You're not afraid of him, are you? No, I'm not afraid of him, but I don't want him sitting there like... Oh, never mind, Mr. President. I'll get one of the servants. Yes, get Oh, There, there he goes. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to have this whole house gone over. I've tried traps and I've tried poison and they pay no attention to any trap I set. I'm going to have to call in a professional rat catcher. Hmm? A professional rat catcher? Certainly. Is there such a thing as a professional rat catcher? A Pied Piper of Washington Town? Well, there certainly is. He brings dogs and ferrets, and I'm told he does a good job. Mm. I'm going to send for him tomorrow. Oh, my goodness, I don't know whether we're ever going to get settled in this place or not. Well, I'll be glad to help you in any way I can, my dear. No, I'll manage, dear. You take care of the senators. I'll take care of the rats. Mr. President, the Secretary of State's waiting to see you, sir. He says it's an emergency. Oh, I'll have him come in at once, Robert. Yes, sir. Will you go right in, sir? Oh, thank you. Good day, Mr. President. Oh, James, what's happened? There's been an incident in Chile. Huh? Some of our sailors were on shore leave and they were attacked by a mob, evidently without any provocation. Eighteen of them were beaten and stabbed and one we know of is dead. What? This is outrageous. What protection did the authorities in Chile give our men? Evidently, the authorities were in sympathy with the mob. I think we should attempt some sort of arbitration with the government down there. Arbitration be hanged. What we want is an apology. And we want it immediately. You don't want me to even attempt to arbitrate? No. I want an apology and indemnity paid every one of those sailors, or their heirs, as the case may be. Very well, Mr. President. I'll proceed on that basis. Good day, sir. Good day, James. Well, I don't think there's another thing that could happen to me today. Mr. President, oh. we're going to have to have the floors taken up in the basement and the kitchen and new floors put in. And we're going to have to put in concrete underneath... Oh, wait a moment, wait a minute. Who says all this? The rat catcher. It's the only way we can solve the problem of the rats permanently. Very well, my dear. Tear up the floors. Good. You know something? What, dear? The office of President of the United States certainly brings a lot of problems with the job. In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. The American economic system has always preserved the basic freedoms of the individual. Since 1910, we have more than doubled the output of each of us for every hour we work. In the same period, we have increased our supply of machine power four and one-half times. Since 1910, we have also increased our annual income. And yet in the same period, we have reduced our working time. Remember, our unrivaled production of goods and services goes hand-in-hand hand with the preservation of our basic freedoms. Our system may have its faults, and we still have a lot to do to make it bring us all the things we want. But despite these faults, it has brought more benefits to more people than any other system. So, at all times, work to protect and to strengthen our American economic system. And now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Well, having
of you guessed who the president was when all this happened? It really did happen, so listen closely. Yes, the office of president brought its great load of problems to the man in the White House. Strange when you stop to think of it, how those problems differed with each man who took the office. Mr. President, what on earth are you doing down here? Oh, I heard the noise and I thought I'd come down and see what was going on. Do you know that the kitchen floors had several layers of wood? No, I can't say that I did. Well, it did. Evidently, whenever they needed repairs, they just put another layer of boards down. These are all being ripped out now, and I'm going to have the walls tiled, too. Might as well do a good job over at it. By all means. You know, everything necessary for the preservation of this building should be done. Uh, let's go outside a moment. I want to ask you a question. Very well, my dear. Huh. Mr. President, can I discharge the cook or can't I? I don't think I understand. I'm asking you whether I have the authority to discharge the cook. Well, you certainly have the authority. Well, I've discharged her and she won't go. She won't go? No. See, she, she's quite expensive. Her wages are $50 a month. And with the children away for the summer and also very little for us to do in the way of entertaining, we really don't need anyone that expensive. So I discharged her. Well, then, she has to go. Well, she's a French woman, you know. Hmm? And she says she's going to sue us for damages. And take her problem to the French legation. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, there's nothing to laugh about. Oh, I think you've never been in a situation <laughs> like this before. <laughs> well, you've never been the first lady of the land before. Now, don't let it worry you. We're handling the situation with Chile, and if our cook manages to develop international complications with France, we'll handle those too. <laughs> oh, one other thing, mm -hmm. Mr. President. They've organized a society called the Daughters of the American Revolution. Oh, yes, yes, I've heard about it. Well, I've been asked to serve as the first national president general of the organization. No. Well, congratulations, my dear. That's a great honor. Well, then you think I should accept? Well, of course I do, Madam President. <laughs> well, then I will. Now, uh, I must get back to my office, really. You know, dear, you look tired. Well, I have quite a lot on my mind. When I get some of these problems settled, I'll be all right. Would you like me to read your message back to you, Mr. President? No, thank you, Robin. I think I've covered every point that I want Congress to consider. I've been quite definite in the points I've made about Chile, and I hope Congress will agree with me. Chile must apologize and make res reparations. And if she does not? If she does not, we'll... Yeah, well, we'll meet that problem when the time comes. Mr. President. Oh, Mr. Justice Fuller. How are you, sir? I just wanted to tell you that I heard the text of your message to Congress, and I feel certain that everyone will agree with you. Oh, thank you, sir. I'm very happy to know that you feel that way. Of course, if it should come to war... I don't think it will, Mr. President. I think you will get the message you want from Chile. <laughs> President in, Robert. Yes, Mr. Secretary. I'll just... go right on. It's an emergency. I'm sorry to burst in on you like this, Mr. President, but word has come from Chile. Yes, yes. They've apologized and they agree to all your demands. Oh, thank God. You know, James, I don't think I've ever been so close to tears in my life. 
I was so afraid there'd be a war. Why, I never guessed you were afraid, Mr. President. You seemed so firm and so adamant in your attitude about the entire matter. James, I believe that as the president, I have to seem firm, no matter what doubts assail me or what worries haunt me in the night. The president is a symbol. He must inspire confidence and faith and even fear when necessary. I know there are many who say that I'm a cold man without soul, without feeling, arrogant, demanding. That's not true. What I do demand, I demand for the office. And what I demand for that office is respect and honor. Well, enough about that. This is great news you've brought me, and I'll send a message to con Congress immediately. Mr. President. Yes, Robert? I have the message typewritten for Congress about the Chile incident. It's going to take quite a while to copy it in longhand, and you said you wanted them to receive the message as soon as possible. Oh, I do. Send over the typewritten copy. I'll sign it. I'd like to, sir, but it's going to shatter precedent. No printed message has ever been sent to Congress. Well, all right. Let this be the first. Send it over just as it is. Mr. President, I must say I consider your actions shocking, sir. Absolutely shocking. Why do you say that, Senator? You've insulted the Senate of the United States of America. I have done what? You have insulted the Senate of the United States of America. In what way? By sending a printed form of your message. Messages are supposed to be sent by the President in writing. Well, now, Senator, in this particular case, there just wasn't time to make a longhand copy. However, we will have one made and sent over for the Senate records. I trust you will, sir. Not that that can obliterate the insult already made, but it will at least preserve the form of the records for future generations. Senator, did you ever hear the story of the boy who stuck his finger in the dike in Holland? Well, I don't quite see what that has to do... Things change, Senator. Civilization grows and expands. New inventions come along. It isn't necessary for us to do everything the laborious way simply because our fathers did. Who knows? Someday, every message sent by the President to the Senate may be typewritten. I can't believe that, Mr. President. Surely the old traditions will not be completely discarded. Times change, Senator. Events change. Presidents change. Who knows what wonders are just over the horizon? Who knows? Well, you've probably figured out by now who the president was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and you'll have the answer in just a moment. Since the time the greatest story ever told went on the air, it's received many awards from church groups and magazines. One of the highest tributes from a leading magazine said, It remains unexcelled in the field of religious programs for being all around good radio listening for the entire family. Letters written to the greatest story ever told show that all faiths are equally enthusiastic about the series. The inspiring stories of the man who led the greatest life ever lived are lessons in tolerance and hope. Age-old stories, yet ones whose meaning is understood today. So listen to the greatest story ever told each Sunday when it's presented over most of these ABC stations. And now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. <laughs> 
Well, what do you think of the kitchen? Oh, it looks splendid, and so does the basement. You know, if my term in office is remembered for nothing else, it will be remembered that during my administration, the kitchen and the basement of the White House were remodeled. And, just as the nation remembers that the first president of the United States was George Washington, I'm sure that the ladies of the DAR will remember that their first national president general was Mrs. Benjamin Harrison. Be with us again next week, won't you, for another interesting story that happened at Washington a few years ago to Mr. President. Until then, goodbye. This program is produced and directed by Dick Wollen. Edward Arnold appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of Battleground, starring Van Johnson, John Hodiak, Ricardo Montalban, and George Murphy. <laughs> Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. Today's story was based on incidents in the life of President Benjamin Harrison. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. <laughs>